today I want to let you know that it is going to be a little different. So um, I'm going to ask you to go on an adventure with me here. <laughs> um, so we, we're going to do something a little different where we're going to incorporate, because of our passage really lends itself to this, we're going to incorporate uh, the sermon into this kind of worship experience. And one of the, the things that's going to mark this worship experience is moving your body. And uh, that's not something that Presbyterians are really known for. Uh, <laughs> which, but we do have bodies, guys. And, we, and our mouths work and our bodies work. So, um, yeah, just, just think about this idea that we are embodied souls. And so James K.A. Smith, if you're familiar with him, he's done a lot of great researching and praying and writing and meditating on this kind of stuff. But um, it's, we're not just like brains on a stick, okay? We're not just like information download. Um, and it's not a one-way street. It's not that we learn new things and then that trickles through our bodies and makes us live differently. It, it's actually a two-way street. That, that we are embodied souls, and so when our bodies do things, when we get into liturgies of living a certain way and having certain habits and certain routines, that actually shapes our soul. And so uh, we're going to just do some things, try some things that we've never done before today. So, um, yeah, I'm just asking you to go on an adventure with me. Are you in? Okay, let's do it. I'm going to pray. Father, would you, uh, would you please uh, use this time? Lord, uh, you, you keep your promises always to uh, use your word and your people and this, this time, this special time every week that we gather, that you call us together because you have good things for us. You are maturing us, you are growing us, you are encouraging us, you're convicting us of sin so that you can lead us out of it. And you're transforming us and making us new, but not just individuals, you're making this community new. You are speaking to us as a people, as a body. So, uh, Lord, would you do that now? Would you, uh, would these new things that we are doing not be a distraction, um, Lord, but would they be an, an opening up of our souls to you, an opening up um, in humility to say, Lord, would you just lead us however you want to lead us? And so, um, please do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want to start here with this question. Um, who, who has your ear? Um, Tony, Tony Robbins had that uh, Netflix special, I'm Not Your Guru. Who, who is your guru? Who are the voices that when they start speaking, you stop talking and start listening and, and taking notes? Um, just think about, reflect on your life, reflect on your weekly rhythms. Like, who, who do you give your attention to? Um, is it somebody who's like a master in your field, uh, your career field? Um, a highly successful or celebrated person like a, a Bill Gates or somebody who's just kind of found a life hack and is uh, doing incredible things. Like, who, who are the people that you're listening to and letting shape your life? Um, it could be a news outlet. It could be somebody who's close to you, a trusted friend or family member. But, but think about that. Who, who, who do you give yourself to? Who do you actually give yourself to and think, like, I'm going to open myself up to you and let you change me, potentially? And then, and then how do you listen to that person? Do you listen uh, simply to offer a judgment or an opinion of what's being said? Like, oh, wow, that was brilliant. That's great. Like, I love, I celebrate the brilliant thing that you said, or I celebrate the, the wisdom that you have. But when I really stop and think about it, I haven't changed at all. I'm just, I'm just enjoying the fact that you're saying brilliant things. Or do you open yourself up to to be changed, to be transformed by what this person is speaking into your life. 
um, it will you will you be shaped? Will you submit yourself to it and obey it? Will you actually give that voice the authority to change your life? Um, and then I guess a, a, a question that we have to ask, sort of a footnote question, is: or Do you do you do that at all? Is there anyone who that is true of you for? Um, do you open yourself up to anyone to let you to change your life, or is it like the way that pornography just like destroys a sex drive? Is it like you're giving your attention to everyone? so that you're actually listening to no one. Like all this information is just flooding and I'm actually like losing my ability to pay attention. I'm losing my ability to submit myself to anyone and to learn from anyone and to receive from anyone. So um, I ask that question because um, we're, we're skipping ahead a couple chapters in our study of the book of Nehemiah. And so far we've been talking about Nehemiah receiving this vision from the Lord. He's, he's given him this vision for him, but more than for him, for his people. And uh, the Lord is doing something for his people. He is bringing new life to where there were ruins. And so Nehemiah goes, and he goes back to Jerusalem that's been decimated, and the people have been decimated. And this whole idea is that um, this city wall is so important because if, if we don't have these healthy boundaries, if we don't have this protection, then we are so vulnerable we are so broken down and vulnerable that we can't get to the real deep work, which is rebuilding the people of God. Not just rebuilding the city, but we have this temple where we meet with God, and if we have this temple, um, it's actually not worth that much if our city walls are broken down and anyone can come in and just raid us, if we are economically dependent on our enemies, if we are slaves to them. And so we are rebuilding these walls to strengthen, to give us healthy boundaries so that we can actually get into um, worshiping and communing with God in the temple. But um, as, as we will see, as we will see today and continue to see, the people actually um, need to be rebuilt, and that's the heavy lifting. And so um, in, the, in the couple chapters that we've skipped, uh, because we didn't like what it said, and no, I'm just kidding, we, we skipped these chapters because we're, we're trying to get this in in a, uh, a semester, and there was, there's a little bit of repetition there, but um, the wall is now complete. And so the wall is totally complete. It took 52 days in all to rebuild this wall, and so now we're getting down to the, the heavy lifting um, of rebuilding these people. And so how do you rebuild these people? How do you, how do you rebuild the people of God? Um, it's by submitting to the Word of God. It's by submitting to the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit of God who is taking that word and applying it and doing what we can't do in our own apart from the Holy Spirit. And he is applying it to our lives. And we'll see what happens. This is a, a beautiful picture of what happens when he does that. So um, a question that I want to ask us today um, is, do you believe, like when you walked in here today, do you believe that you are going to hear from God? Do you believe that when you come into this place that he is going to speak to you um, through his word, through the w different ways in which we worship? And I would argue that that expectation is, is really um, vital. Because if I don't have that expectation, then I I'm going to miss. Like, I'm not opening myself up. I mean, the Lord can do anything, but... Um, you know, that's first is, is do I believe that he can and, and will speak to me? And then and the second question that's maybe equally as important is, do I care? Am I hungry? Am I hungry for him to speak to me? Am I coming in here desperate saying, Lord, I, I don't know how to live apart from you. I don't know 
like what to do with what's going on in my life apart from you. I need you to speak to me. I want you to speak to me. And so um, wh- what we're about to do as we read the word is, <laughs> is going to be different. But I want, um, is Nick Pilkington here? Is Nick in the back? Kid Town, okay. Look at Nick. Man, that's what our elder does. He's, a, he's back there doing Kid Town. Okay, if you are on our um, Midtown West shepherding team, that's kind of like group leaders and some leadership, if y'all would come up front and just kind of stand on the steps or on the stage. And as we unpack this, I'm going to explain why we're doing this in a second. Okay, and so um, I need you all, the rest of you all, to just stand where you are. It says that um, as the law was read to the people that the the leaders were up here. Uh, We'll talk about why that was. And it says that the people, when they saw that the, the book of the law being opened, they stood to receive it. Um, and, and what we're going to do in a second, I want us to go ahead and practice just, everybody raise your arms, and give me, give me a couple amens. Okay, okay, we can do better than that. All right, amen, amen. Okay, so, um, what you do, what you need to know if you don't know already is that the word amen translated means, um, that's the truth right there. That is the truth, and, and I'm like celebrating that that is the truth, okay? So that's what amen means. Um, so I am going to read um, our passage for us, which is Ezra 8, 1 through 12. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who can understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masaiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbanana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he, as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatheh, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah. All these are the appropriate pronunciation, just trust me. <laughs> Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy for the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the word of the law. 
Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Okay, thanks, y'all. Y'all can go have a seat. So what I'd also invite you to do as we continue this morning, um, if you hear anything that resonates with you to where you want to say that is the truth, and I'm thankful that that is the truth, like, let it rip. Like, let's hear some amens, okay? Okay, so first, we got to ask, like, how, how am I oriented to the Word of God? Um, how do I receive the Word of God? How do I come to the Word of God? And so that's really the first eight verses of this passage. And so first, there's unity and purpose. All of the people gathered as one man, it says. All of the people gathered with this one purpose in mind. We were all on the same page. And so I just want to stop there and say, um, that's, that's why the leaders of the people were up there, is they're, they're saying, hey, whatever is being read from this book of the law, that is the basis for everything. Like everything that we will do as a community, that is, Lord willing, that is certainly true for us as Midtown West. Whatever we are doing, it is because we believe that it is coming from this. Because this is the rule of life. This is what God has given his people. And so we are standing and saying, hey, look, this is not somebody's opinion. This, anything that you are going to experience as a member of this community is because there is purpose that God has not just done something for you as an individual, that he has called you to this place, to this expression of the body of Christ for his purposes. And he has specific purposes for Midtown West. He is our head. He is the head of this little body. And we are all the members of this little body. And so when the people stand, the leaders stood up here, it was to say, hey, look, this is what we're about. And it's to say that when God speaks to us, which he does, and when God meets us in this place, which he does, through his word and his people and his Holy Spirit, um, he is not just meeting you to give you life advice for you. He is meeting you to transform you according to his will, but also, he is meeting you as a one little member of this body. And he is speaking to us collectively because he wants to not just shape you as an individual. He wants to shape us and mature us as a people. And he wants to send us on specific mission in this place where he's put us. And all the gifting that he's given each one of us and all the positions that he's placed all of us in. All the relationships, all the friendships, all the neighbors that we all have. He is doing something specific with this body. And so when we come, we are coming, hopefully, um, more and more so as we mature in Christ, we are coming saying, Lord, I, it's not just I'm here to hear from you, but we are here to hear from you of what are you wanting to do in us and through us. Um, so they come with unity and purpose. They came with hunger. It says that um, Ezra didn't say, like, all right, guys, it's time to go read from the law. It says all the people told him, Go get the book of the law and read it to us. We are hungry. We want to hear what God has to say to us. And it says from early morning to midday, the ears of all the people were attentive. And so that's what we're doing today. Because we're going to be here for six hours. No. <laughs> we're not. See, you're sinners. You didn't even want to be here for six hours. That's why you laugh. Um, 
But all the people they called, they called the leaders and said, don't hold this back from us. We want to hear the word of the Lord. We want it to shape our lives. Like, I'm hungry to hear this. And I will sit here, I will stand here for as long as it takes because this is where my life comes from. This is how I know how to live. And so um, Deuteronomy 8.3, this is um, from the book of the law that was being read. It says, uh, and he humbled you. He let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, so that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The Lord is giving us a hunger, and that is a gift, that, that the things here are not going to satisfy us so that it turns us to say, you can. You are the only one who can satisfy us. Would you please speak to us? Matthew 5, 6, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied. Like the Lord answers that prayer. You can, you can rest in that. Um, so they're, they're united in purpose, they're hungry, and they submit to the authority of the word. You know, if, if, as we've had um, new member interviews, that's something I, I really try to be clear about with people that are wanting to join Midtown is um, we believe that God has given authority to people, um, that he has given me some authority. He's given Nick as a, a ruling elder some authority in this body, um, but it is a spiritual authority, and it is fully derived from Jesus. There is no, um, there's no root authority that is in any man whatsoever in the body of Christ. The only authority, the, the all other authority is derivative. It all comes from Jesus, and we're saying not that, that we are on level with him or that we can decide to lead a people any way that we want. We're saying that we are the pipeline through which he flows. And that is one way in which he wants to meet his people is as he calls people into these roles that he has created for his body. Um, so the authority is his and the authority is his as it flows through his word. And so that's why the people stand when it's open. They stand at attention because they are submitting themselves to the word. They are saying, I don't get to decide what my truth is like I am I am submitting myself to say you know you know how I should live I shape myself to you I don't shape you to me um, and so it's this opening of my life it's this when I stand I mean it's like standing at attention if you were um, in the military it's like I, I, I'm respecting and I'm submitting myself to the one who is speaking to me and that's why, you know, I mean, it, it's helpful because it, it allows you to see me and maybe hear better. But, like, that's why most every church, the pulpit is elevated. Because it's not that I'm so important or I have something to say. It's that you're hearing from the word of God. And so the word of God is coming down to you. You are receiving from above. Um, you're receiving this word that God has given you. And so there's unity, there's hunger, there's submission, but there's also worship. It says that... Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting their hands. And I want to read this from Deuteronomy to kind of uh, shed some light on what I'm talking about. Deuteronomy 4, 6 through 8 says this, talking about the, the laws and the commands and the statutes. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear these all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Okay, so there's just this celebration of what God says is brilliant. It is brilliant, it is wise, it is good, it is holy, it is righteous. 
Everything that he says is amazing. And so there's just this, this pure celebration of what he says uh, and the fact that if I will bend myself to the word and not the other way around, I will be able to live wisely and it will change my life. But then he goes on and says, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it like that the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. It's that people are going to look at this and say, who is this God that wants to show himself to his people? He is so close and so near to them because he loves them so much. So it's not just saying like what is being said is amazing, but look who the author is. Look that he wants to give this word to his people because he wants to be near. He wants to be in relationship. He wants these people to be freed up to live a, a good and beautiful life. And so um, finally there, in, in terms of how we receive the word, there's this um, understanding for the purposes of obedience. It says that um, the people, the, the Levites helped the people to understand and, and made it clear and gave it sense. It gave it what was being said context. Um, you know, the people of Israel in some ways were no different from us. It's like we can come across passages in Scripture and be like, I have no idea what that means. Um, and so what is being implied here is the, the Lord is saying, yeah, I have gifted certain people in my big body of people to be the kind of people who can teach and unpack and contextualize and help you understand what this word is I'm saying to you and not just understand what it is, but how does it actually apply to your life? Because the whole purpose is not just to say, wow, that was really brilliant. Like, this is amazing. But it's to go beyond that to say, how does this thing that's really brilliant change my life? How do you want me to live differently as I obey this? And what does it look like to obey this in, in 2021 in Nashville, Tennessee, in my career as a X, Y, or Z, or as, as and me staying at home, or me being single, or me being married, or me having kids, or like, what does this mean for me in my place? Because we believe, again, that the Lord is speaking to every single one of us in the places where he's put us. And so it's this whole idea that, um, what are we talking about um, in this passage and, and what, what, what is happening in my life and, and being changed as a result? And First uh, John 5.3 says, uh, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Like, if I say I love God and, and nothing, he, and never submit myself to him and do something that's uncomfortable for me because I don't want to do it, but he said to do it, I don't really love God. I really love myself, and this is a way that I can somehow better myself because of maybe what I believe about God. If, I'm, if I act good, he'll bless me and make all my dreams come true, or other people will think I'm a good person. But if I don't actually submit myself and change my life because of what he said, I don't love him. And so there is a connection here between love and obedience. And then it says right after that, the same passage, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. This is not like a test that you have to like prove yourself. This is like, this is like a loving father saying, this is the way to live because I love you. I want you to live this way because it will go well for you. I'm teaching you, I'm leading you out of the wilderness into how to have life and have it to the fullest. That's what these commands are for. And so we just have to stop here as we think about what it is to orient ourselves to the word of God and say, where am I with all this? Like, do I believe that he is speaking to me? Do I believe that, do I want him to speak to me? When he does speak 
What does it look like to really obey, um, both as an individual and us as a, a body? And so, um, and, and I want to I make this really clear. Uh, when you come to faith and you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that all of this is going to be true for you all the time. Um, it's not true for me all the time, and, and it's so cool that Anna said what she said in the call to worship. Like, we are, we are still living in this body of flesh that is fighting against <laughs> the new man and the new woman and the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in us. Um, so it's not that we always feel super pumped to hear from the Lord all the time, but it is that we would pray and ask for what we can't give ourselves, which is a hunger and a desire to hear from him. W- would you please, please, Give me a hunger for you, and please give me the ability to understand what you're saying, and please give me the ability to believe that it's because you're good and you love me, and please help me to live it out, and please get rid of all this stuff that makes me not want to do this. Um, so this, what we're going to do now is we're going to sing uh, a song, and, and I want this song for us to be a prayer of hunger. Um, and so... Um, as you feel led, um, or maybe even if you don't feel led, if you want to lead yourself and make yourself do this, um, to raise your hands. And, and one of the reasons you raise your hands um, is it's a posture of saying, I don't have everything I need in myself. I actually need something from you, and I want that from you. And so um, I would just encourage you to try that, to try raising your hands as we um, sing and pray this song. So, uh, so these people come to the word, um, and they celebrate this word, and, and then something really strange happens in verse 9. It says, um, you know, we just got talk, done talking about how good, good the word of God is, and how we, we worship him for it, we celebrate it, but now we see the people weeping. Um, and, and why were the people weeping? I think Hebrews uh, 4.12 describes what's happening really really perfectly it says for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the hearts and I think what was happening there is um, the people are standing in this place together as one people in this rebuilt city that still is in the process of being rebuilt. We have the temple, we have the wall, but the homes and the different buildings within the, the city are still um, needing to be rebuilt. And as they're hearing this, this, the book of the law that the Lord gave to Moses to give the people, this was preparing them to get to that place. Because remember remember who God is and remember the order of things. Um, these people weren't looking for God and these people are our ancestors now. Um, and so our ancestors, were not looking for God. They were just in a lot of trouble. They were in slavery um, in Egypt, and they were captives. And God came not because they were so amazing, not because they were so faithful, not because they were so beautiful, but he came because he loved them and, and drew them out of slavery and said, I'm going to give you this amazing, good, beautiful land. And before you go, you need to understand this is how to live life. Um, it reminds me of that SNL skit we we featured in one of our like COVID video sermons. But um, Adam Sandler is this like Italian, um, you know, tour tour guide, <laughs> and he says uh, all the all the wonderful things that they're going to do on these trips. And he says, but but just remember, if you're unhappy now, you're going to be unhappy in Italy because you will still be you, 
and he goes to, to take great pains to explain to the people, like, we can show you this. We can feed you good food. We can take you to museums, but we can't make you a different person. So if you're miserable now, you will still be miserable. Um, and that's, that's a little bit of what's going on as God gives the people the law. is like, listen, you will still be slaves if you keep living the way that you're living now. To, to really be free and really enjoy this gift that I'm giving you, you have to be reshaped. You have to be reformed. You have to be different on the inside for any of this to be even remotely close to the amazing gift that I intended to be for you. And so these people are thinking, wow, he was really right. And look, look at all of the ruins. Look at all of the years. Read the history of this people from the time that we landed, from the time before we landed, from the time that we were on our way out of Egypt. We got about two steps out of Egypt and already we're just a total train wreck. And look at all the history of this people, all the the many, many ways through all the generations that we've been rebellious. We have not really cared what God's had to say. We have turned our backs on him. We've gone our own way. We've worshiped all sorts of idols that are not God's. And finally, 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 after all this mercy and grace, the Lord is like, it's just time. And we were taken into captivity. The city was decimated. Um, And now we're standing in this place. And remember, uh, if you've read this before, when the temple was completed in in Ezra, um, half the people are weeping because they were the older people who knew the old temple. And they were like, man, even this new temple that we've just built is just a, a shadow temple like look at what we have done look at the ruin that we have brought look at the ruin that sin has wrought in our community in ourselves Um, and even look at us now look at us as we've come back to Jerusalem we're rebuilding this wall even in the process of rebuilding the wall remember we talked about a couple weeks ago is like we're already taking advantage of each other we're already treating people as property we are already like it is so deep in here and we can't do anything about it and so just to stop and I think it'd be healthy for us to reflect what about you and me Um, what kind of ruin has your sin wrecked on your family or your career or your body your mind or your soul or somebody else's body somebody else's soul How many years have you wasted trying to find life where there was only death? And what does that do to you to sit in that, if you let yourself sit in that? And and a couple of footnotes there um, about what it is to feel that and mourn. Um, For some of us, it's hard to get in touch with mourning, um, and and it's going to feel like anger. And I'm angry at everything that's happened uh, because there's still a part of me that won't give up the ghost that like, oh, this is more about me than about what everyone else is doing to me. And then for some of us, it's hard to get in touch with this because we're not in touch with ourselves at all because we run too fast because we're always running from this very moment. If I can just stay busy enough and keep moving fast enough, then I never have to slow down and think about this. But you, you have to trust the Lord that this is the pathway to life. You have to let this stone sink to the bottom. You have to live in the reality of, of what is sin and what has it done to you and what has it done through you. And so um, 
this next song that we're going to sing, you know, feel free to sing it too. We're going to put the lyrics up, but also really we encourage you to treat it as a sing-over song. And this is where you're really going to have to trust me. Um, I said it's going to be different. Um, It says that when these people were cut to the heart, um, they bowed with their faces to the ground. And so I know there are a lot of us that have never done that before. Um, but I think that's a really healthy posture for what it is to mourn sin. So um, feel free to use the aisles. You come up front, go in the back, and um, I would encourage you to, to do that. And if you're, if you're able, if you're not able, if you want to stay at your seat and just kneel and turn around to your chair and kind of use that, or if you need to stay in your seat, that's great too. Um, but let's, let's spend some time um, asking the Lord to show us and convict us and um, speak to us. Thank you all for going there. So there's good news. We don't stay there. Um, We never stay there. Uh, Because the law of God, the word of God, is is first a mirror uh, to show us who we really are and to show us our state. And that's what we just spent some time contemplating. And it shows us that we are in desperate need of a Savior. Um, but that's not all it is. It's, it's through that, we'll call it a, a pathway. It's through that cave. Um, that is the pathway. It opens a door to Jesus. Um, you, you, you cannot get to Jesus without going through that pathway. Um, but, but the law, everything leads us to him uh, because Jesus says clearly in the Gospels, um, everything in the book of the law is about me. It's all meant to point to me. And so what does it say? So, so here in the last few verses of this passage, um, it's this beautiful picture of Nehemiah and Ezra and, and these these people going around to God's people and comforting them like you would a, a, a small child. It's calming them and saying, shh, shh, no, 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 it's okay. Like, you're going to be okay. You're not ruined. You're not undone. You're not, it's not too late. Um, this is a day of, of celebrating. This is a day that is holy to the Lord. And, and you just have to ask, like, what? Like, like, once I've spent time contemplating this and gotten in touch with this, like, what are you talking about? How? How, how can this be? Um, so last night I, I broke down and watched the first episode of Squid Game. And, um, and I was thinking, you know, this, like I, I've heard people talk about it and um, they talked about it's kind of this dystopian picture of the state of the world in terms of inequality and, and okay, maybe that too. But I think part of the reason it really is connecting is um, because it's really connecting about all of life. It's connecting about this deep, guttural uh, way that the world is shaped and the way that we are finding ourselves living in this world. Um, even, I mean, just the first episode, um, I mean, what are we talking about? We're talking about people who are slaves to debt that they cannot pay. People who are no longer people, but they're slaves. Um, and so they are desperate. They are desperate 
They are um, always desperate, always willing to do um, anything. They're always running and hiding and taking from others. Does that sound familiar? Um, and there's this, uh, this man in the black mask who is it's this enemy, but it's like for us, if we, if we want to look at this picture of the story of human history, it's like this man in the black mask is um, the one who has lured people into those things that have gotten them into debt, and then now he's just puppet mastering them as fear just wreaks havoc on them. And now they're just slaves to the debt that they are in. And I want to just pause here and say, you know, a lot of people kind of see God like the man in the black mask, but that's false. Um, a lot of people can, because of the hurt that they've experienced, see God as the one who's puppeteering this little game that we're all a part of and we can't get out. Um, that's, that's not reality, as we'll, we'll see in a second here. But um, no, this is the enemy. This is the enemy's work. And he is, he is using fear. Fear is a powerful weapon. When there is no grace um, and there's only law, and I'm aware of, of I, I am a lawbreaker, then I am a slave to fear, and I will let fear lead me into many things, many ugly and destructive things. But here they say that um, this day is holy, and, and that word holy means free from sin. This is a day that's holy to the Lord. This is a day that's free from sin to the Lord. And so wh- what are we talking about? Look at this ruin. Look at what sin has done. But even here, even in the days of Nehemiah under the law, there was grace. There's always been grace. Grace is not a a New Testament-only concept. There was grace even in Deuteronomy. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 4, 30 and 31 says, When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, meaning all of these consequences of your sinning and turning away from the law come upon you, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Deuteronomy 7, 6 calls these people, calls us, our ancestors, holy and treasured. But then makes it really clear that it's not, they're not holy because of their life. Deuteronomy 9, 6 says, you are not righteous. You are actually a rebellious people. You were actually a very sinful people, and you were holy and treasured. And so it says, uh, the people are told, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that right there is the key. The joy of the Lord is how those things fit together. I am not righteous. We are not righteous. And we are holy and dearly loved. And and so if we want to go back to our, our well, it says the joy of the Lord is your strength. That word strength means like security. It's your sure footing. Um, it's the joy of the Lord that's your strength. It's not your ability to keep the law that is your strength. And so go back to our, our little squid game metaphor. Um, it's like Jesus is the only one who is not in debt. That uh, I forgot what they called it, but the contract to like signing away bodily rights. It's like um, he went and did that on all of our behalf and then went and got all of our debt Uh, written into his name and then he goes and enters the squid game and just gets crushed just gets destroyed Um, but you know what he was he was overjoyed to do so like how (laughs) how amazing is that Hebrews 12 2 says we look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him 
which certainly is the love of the Father and obedience to the Father, but is also certainly you. You are the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Despising there means making, it's light, it's little, it's nothing. All the shame and all the pain and all the darkness of the cross was like nothing to him because of how much he loves you and how much he is overjoyed at the idea that what he is doing is accomplishing this thing that will bring you into eternal relationship with him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The fact that he is seated means it is finished. There's nothing left to do. Debt erased. We'll never be indebted again. The man in the black mask has been defeated and has been rendered powerless. He's been castrated. There's nothing, no fear that he can hang over your head anymore because you are not in debt anymore. Romans 6, 6 through 8 says, We know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you. It, ha- it only has dominion over you in fear. But now that the fear is gone, sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. See, when Jesus did that, he didn't only erase our debt, but he took all of our debt, past, present, and future, and he gave us new life. The Holy Spirit lives in us. If you were here a couple weeks ago and saw um, Tia's baptism, we talk about how the water represents the cleansing blood of Jesus, but it also represents the washing and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit dwells in us now, in Christ, and he is making us new. And so it's not just that our debt is forgiven, but now we are entering into new life. We are now able to live in a new way. We are able, actually, to keep the law from the heart for the first time ever. To not be afraid anymore, to be under grace, is what enables us to keep the law for the first time ever. We're not going to do it perfectly, this side of heaven, until Jesus returns. But, but all of a sudden, like, there's this, there's this new, th- new thing that's happening and growing in me, in Christ. And Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free, so stand, form, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You are free in Christ. You don't ever have to be afraid of not being perfect. You don't ever have to be afraid that um, something you have done or will do is going to make God walk away from you or love you less. That is a lie from the enemy. And the prison door is always open. The lock is off. But we can find ourselves sitting in the prison cell, being able to leave at any time because we've been deceived. And so we need to know that there is nothing that can separate us from Christ. There's nothing that can separate us from him. And so when he says, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery, he's talking about don't submit to the slavery of the law. The law is good, but if you are trying to keep the law to be okay, that's not good. That's slavery. If you are trying to keep the law because you love Jesus and you love the way that he's calling you to live and you want to live like him and live with him, that's good. That's beautiful. That's what we're called to. But there's also slavery of lawlessness. Stop, stop living lawless too. And now we have the power to do that. So, so the law is, is neither a slave master for us, nor is it a bad thing, but now we can obey from the heart. And so just like these people in this passage, when we hear 
and understand the good news, we walk away rejoicing. And so that's what we're going to do today. Um, he is making all things new. And so uh, we, we need Jesus embodied. Um, it is important to see and hear and feel um, someone speaking on Jesus' behalf to say, um, you are loved and he is making all things new. And so that's what we're going to do, kind of a, a version of pass the peace, is I want us to spend a little time, um, if, if you don't know somebody, um, get their name. Um, and uh, hopefully it's okay with everyone to get a little shoulder touch. If you do know somebody, you can give them a hug. But I, I want us to say this to each other. Um, Matt, Jesus loves you, and he is making all things new. And so as, as we pass the peace that way, um, if Jesus loves you, and he's making all things new, that's going to lead us into our, our last song. Hey, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. If you felt weird, uh, just know that we, at least we all did it with you, so we're all weird together. Um, receive this benediction, this good word from Isaiah 51, and know that this is true for you who are in Christ. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion, he comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. And he makes these pages stick together. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. Go in peace.